Hello, hello, hello. You're tuned into the Grandson of a Pastor podcast with your host, Yurik. And yes, I am truly a grandson of a pastor. Again, I'd like to thank all of my listeners uh, who are downloading the podcast on all the social media platforms. Again, thank you. If you got any suggestions for the Grandson of a Pastor podcast, uh, feel free to shoot me an email at edware2020 at gmail.com. Once again, edware at gmail.com. Dot com. Today we got a special guest who's coming on the podcast. Uh, he's ranged from Muhlenberg, Kentucky. Uh, great man, great person, great role model, I would say. Uh, I've been following him for a while. Uh, he does a lot in my hometown in Western Kentucky. Uh, I have brother Jeff Taylor, who is the commissioner at the Kentucky, the Kentucky Cabinet for Economic Development. Again, it's brother Jeff Taylor commissioner at Kentucky Cabinet for Economic Development. So again, Brother Taylor, I'd like to thank you for coming on the podcast uh, and sharing your views on all things Kentucky, all things United States. I mean, this is an open platform. We are unapologetic. We are imperfect souls on an imperfect walk influenced by none other than our parents, grandparents, politics, politicians, and most importantly, our religious beliefs. So without further ado, I'd like for Brother Taylor to introduce himself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Brother Ware, first, uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, informing each other and keeping each other up to date are very instrumental and very important right now. As you said, I hail from Middleburg County, but I've been a resident of Hopkinsville, Christian County for 25 years. I worked for 31 years with the Tennessee Valley Authority, primarily as a senior project manager, economic development. Upon retiring, uh, I made history, becoming the first state elected uh, member to the General Assembly of Kentucky from all of Western Kentucky. Okay. It was just something I wanted to do. I never did it based on race. I was a, a state representative for all the people. Uh, however, uh, it was, you know, met with unique challenges, being the first African-American to even attempt it. We yeah. were successful. We did make history. And uh, I've always been asked, how do you measure success? I measure it on how many other people I make successful. But from my run, I've inspired several other people to run for various offices. And whether you win or lose, I think you're successful. But some have won. So... Uh, I count that as quite quite a successful um, milestone, not just my election, but helping other people or inspiring other people to take that leap. And I will tell you right now, now it was always on my mind, but when uh, Barack Obama was elected as the 44th president, that's when I really knew. Once I seen him do it, that's really what inspired and motivated me to run. And actually, there's a very infamous phone call Barack Obama made for me the night before my, my win where he called all the African-American households in Christian County, and I still have a recording of that. All right, all right. So tell us about your role, your current role as the commissioner at Kentucky Cabinet of Economic Development. You know, uh, Brother Ware, I've been very blessed, and uh, I'm going to venture into a couple other things. I mean, no one can uh, avoid the, the pink elephant in the room right now, which is the racial issues and tensions throughout the community, state, and country. But 
working in economic development, it was not a field where many African-Americans worked, and it's not a field where many African-Americans work now. Uh, when I started with TVA for several years, I was the only African-American in the whole department. But it's just what it says, economic development, economics, finance, the creations of jobs, the creation of wealth, something that's really not taught handily throughout our community. Uh, there's still a huge gap on the knowledge base of African-Americans, the economy and finance. I've always said this throughout my speeches. And one of the things that have hindered the African-American community is that we do not invest in fires, fires, finance, insurance, real estate. All right. Uh, that goes back to economic development. I was, came, came from a situation of poverty. I was not taught about money or finance or interest rates or the value of buying your own home and building up that equity, uh, not to spend more than you make. You know, you didn't have anything, you won't think. So you get money, you spend it because you, you watch other people live, live in a lucrative lives. You, you want what they have, but yeah. you don't understand how they, they got there or how they got it. And I still see a lot of that. It's just a matter of us teaching each other so I've been very blessed, but basically what I do is I recruit industries. I've done that for all my life, and there is a lot that goes on with that, the construction of an industry, the sale of the real estate, the suppliers, the purchase of machinery. There's a lot of wealth that goes on with this, and quite often we're excluded. Yes. So if a new industry comes to town, say Tesla Automotive, Elon Musk is going to build a new plant not just the investment he makes, but that filters and ripples throughout a community from maybe just somebody selling lunch or the coffee machine or the break room and the vending machine. Somebody owns those machines. Yeah. Then there's the factory workers on the floor. There's up the upper management. Then there's a sales team. Again, it's the ripple effect, but quite often because we're not on the front end, yes. we're not included. The most that we can hope for is if they have some type of a procurement program with some type of a target to do so much business with African-American community. Yes. So tell us how, how, how it feels to uh, work with uh, Governor Andy Bashir. Well, I'm here for one reason, one reason only, that's Governor Bashir. Uh, I consider myself a public servant and not a politician. I always ran for other people, not me. I live in inner city of Hopkinsville and on any given day I may hear gunshots. I've been blessed and to who much is given, much is required. Yeah. So I felt the African-American community here needed a voice. Again, I live in a community where 70% of the residents are renters. They don't own homes, they rent. Uh, that's something else that will keep us trapped in poverty and have our neighborhoods crime ridden. But I wanted to be a voice. One thing I will say about Andy Bashir, whether you like him or not, that man has Christian convictions in all of his moves, whether you agree with them or not. That's just like right now with the uh, COVID, COVID epidemic, the COVID-19 epidemic. Yes. He is taking huge gambles that a lot of people don't agree with. I agree with him because he has one focus. That's to save human lives. That's his priority. And I'm right there with him because I truly feel in my heart it's the Christian thing to do. You know, being a politician is easy. Making your decisions to just come out of your faith and come right out of the Bible. It's how much you care about your fellow man. Uh, there are things, honestly, in my life that probably would benefit me personally if I sided more on the right, if I sided more with the Republican philosophy. But that's just me. 
It doesn't benefit other people, the single mom that's struggling to get by on, on uh, $15 or $12 or $9 an hour. So that's, that's who I think about as I weigh my decisions, not me or the, uh, the few. I think about the many. Yes. And I know um, I had a podcast, a couple of podcasts prior to uh, having you on. We talked about uh, restoring uh, the voting rights to those who have been convicted of felony charges. And I just wanted you to talk about the importance of voting um, because a lot of young people don't, I don't think value that, that, that procedure, that, 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 that all that went into getting the right to vote. And uh, I know the guy I, had, the guy I had on was Ed Monahan. He worked closely with the League of Women Voters. Uh, and he was talking about this women just getting the right to vote it, this past August, a hundred years ago, you know, and uh, just the, just the value of that vote, you know, cause it really counts, you know, and it trickles down into your local, local governments. A lot of people think all about voting as on a, on a federal level, but it trickles down locally. Talk about the importance of voting. Uh, brother, where I, I can't stress the importance enough. And it, it's been a, hurtful for me to stand by and watch the number of people that do not vote. For years and years running, Hopkinsville Christian County has had the lowest vote to turn out in the state. Hopkinsville Christian County made history years ago when Bill Dillard was elected the first black sheriff ever. Right now we have an African-American mayor, Mr. Wendell Lynch, a dear friend of mine. But there's so much of politics that we could control if we just vote. I found this out when I was working on a campaign for somebody else going door to door. Two out of every three doors that I knocked on an African-American male, I got used to what they were going to say. Can't vote. Why? I committed a felon years ago. Now, you can quickly stereotype this. And what do you envision? What does that person look like that's telling me that? Well, a lot of people are going to think, you know, that looks like a 18, 19 year old with his hat back on backwards and his pants sagging. Yes, absolutely. That was the case sometime. Yes. But there are also a good a bit of men that look just like me that are active in the community, leaders here in the community, that are deacons at the church, that does something very, very minor 50 years ago. Yes. They can't vote. But we're supposed to be a nation. Uh, and a community that is of Christian values, which the principle of Christianity primarily is forgiveness. That's yeah. how we get into heaven, isn't it? Yes, because we're forgiven. But you will find out that due to many reasons that the judicial system has not been very forgiving, especially to African-Americans that make up the bulk of the uh, penal system, the bulk of our prison populations. So that was heavy in my mind. I knew it was something I wanted to do. Of course, I was not there alone, but I did push and co-sign for a House Bill 60. And of course, I worked on it very, very hard. I was very passionate. And it was really one of the things that drove me to, to run. Uh, that along with a lot of other things that are dealing with poverty, uh, the unemployment rates. Again, I, I probably live in a neighborhood where 70% of the young African-American males have been to some form of, uh, through some form of the penal system. Yes. And also probably were among the young African-American males, I would dare say the unemployment rate is probably hovering around 80 to 90 percent. Oh, boy. If you cannot find gainful employment, 
you really don't know what any of us would do. You really don't know what you're going to do if you're hungry enough, if your belly growls enough, you can't feed your family. We all like to think what we would not do. We could say what we would not do, but we never know for sure what we might do. You yeah. never really know under the right circumstances. Yes. And now we got uh, here in Louisville, uh, we have the Brianna Taylor. We got a lot of civil unrest all over the country uh, regarding police reform. Uh, what's your view of, of what's going on in the streets of America, the streets of Louisville right now? Uh, talk to us about that. And it's interesting you asked this. And I, I would like to share this on a personal note. Is okay. I have a daughter. My name is Jeff Taylor. Yeah. I have a daughter with the same exact name, Brianna Taylor, that is spelled differently. She's a graduate of the University of Louisville. She resided in Louisville. Born is the same month and year as this young lady. So every time that came across the news, the chill that ran down my spine is not, I can't put it into words. So that's all of our child, not just, it's, it's everybody's. Uh, what we have going on is from the top. It's from the White House down. President Trump has us in a race war. Whether you want to admit it, whether you want to say it, we are in a race war. Yes. You are either actively participating, you are on the black side, the white side, in the middle, uh, you're a protester, or you're watching it from home. When people say, I wasn't in a war, well, you know, you didn't go to Vietnam, but we were in a war. Yes. And uh, what we're seeing is the actual disease. President Trump was the symptom. The things that he has done has gone against all of my Christian beliefs. And I am shocked at the number of people that continue to support this man that say, I'm not racist. But it's obvious racism wasn't a deal breaker for you either. You're not racist, but you support a racist. He's openly a racist, a misogynist, a role model that I was not taught again through my Christian faith that this is someone I would want to be a leader, a man of very weak morals and principles. But he had unleashed something in America that has always been there. Mm -hmm. The mistreatment of African-Americans by the judicial system and a militarized police force. We've seen that coming for a while. We've seen police be armed heavier and heavier and heavier so they don't even look like a police force at all. Something that can simply be done, Brother Ware, is if you're driving down the interstate in your car, and you start to see steam blowing from your engine or your check engine light comes on or your gas hand is low, you know to take action. Yeah. Well, we've been seeing the indicators of this building for some time. But did a poor job taking action. How hard is it for you as a leader, like Jeff Taylor, I'm a leader, I've got a problem. Well, I'm calling together a task force from people from all walks of life to deal with these issues that, that we have, that's President Trump calling on African-American leaders that view things differently than he does, calling on uh, the major leaders of our religious communities, the Al Sharpton's, the Jackson Jacksons, the athletes, the owners of these athletic teams, call them together, meet under prayer, fuss, fight, argue, find some common ground. Right now, we have no leadership. We are at a race war and we're adrift at sea. We have no leadership at all from the top. All he's doing is spewing it on. I was at the Capitol one day, going over to the governor's office, 
had to walk through those white militia. Yeah. Fortunately, I was with a white friend that is a military man, and he was just shaking his head. He said, you know, these guys have no idea, no idea. But it was very intimidating to walk through those white militia. Now, no one would believe this, but later that night, I passed two of their truck as I was returning to my Frankfurt residence, and they called me a nigger. Yes. Started blue. Now, they've got assault rifles. I'm, this is how I'm looking, except I had a tire on yeah. At that time, you know, that, that may well have been my time to die. I realized it, but hey, I'm here. I tell the story. I tell people, what did you do? I said, I waved at them. I just didn't use all my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's it. I may be shot, right? I may die, right? Now. I, but I'm, hey, I'm good. I'm ready. I'm, I'm too old to run. Yes. And I'm probably too old to fight, but I, we, we're going down as best we can. Yes. But I was thinking, what brought that? I've done nothing to you. Yes. Where is this hatred coming from? Who is stoking it? Who turned you loose? Yes. And we've got to do something about this. I don't think anyone, black, white, yellow, red, green, blue, should be walking around with a rifle that is built for one intent, the annihilation of human life. You don't need it. You can't go deer hunting. You don't need it to deer hunt. You don't need it to feed yourself. And when a bunch of you show up, yes. we've got a problem. But somebody's got to put a halt on all these things from the public protest and people walking around with assault rifles. It is a recipe for disaster. Right now, brother, we're, we're losing one here, one there, just like this issue in Wisconsin. Uh, the young man in Louisville that passed out supposedly the heat and dropped the rifle and hit three people sooner or later. We are sitting on a powder keg. Sooner or later, this thing is going to unfold and we're not going to be able to put a lid back on it. Somebody's got to step up and be a leader. I mean, if you've got 100 whites over here with assault rifles that are racist and 100 blacks over here with assault rifles that are pro-black and see things differently, a couple of shots is all it takes. And you've got out-and-out bloodbath. And it's going to happen sooner rather than later. You've got all the recipe to, to bake the cake. We just haven't put the bake the cake in the oven, but it's on the way. The cake will be baked. Yes, yes. And uh, here locally, we, we are in a uh, Senate race um, with uh, Andy, I mean, excuse me, with uh, Amy McGrath, um, Mitch McConnell. Uh, I'm a person, uh, I'm an independent. I vote mostly Democrat. Uh, I believe in term limits uh, for uh, senators. I, I think uh, three terms is all you need because after that, you're out of touch. Talk to me about this race. What's your views on it? Uh, what's the chances of Amy winning? Uh, talk to us about this. Well, first, I'd like to say that I'm in absolute agreement with you on term limits for everybody, uh, from city level on up to the federal offices. Uh, I think you just need fresh blood. It lessens the likelihood that you're going to be brought into special interest, and it reduces your power. It keeps balance of power in check. When a person's been there too long, power gets lopsided. I think we're experiencing that right now with Mitch McConnell. I am a registered Democrat. Physically, morally, I'm a conservative man. Compassionately, I am a liberal man. because. People gave me help when I was poor. White people, black people, 
you know, Republicans, Democrat. So I remain open-minded. I stay Democrat because of a compassionate and Christian heart. Uh, what African-Americans have to do, regardless of whether it's a Republican candidate or Democratic candidate, you have to look at their past. You have to look at the statements they made. We cannot be appeased anymore. Do not be appeased. You can't do one thing one day. Oops, I've changed my mind on that. Let me come back and tell you this now. Doesn't fly. Shouldn't fly with you. We're too smart for that. Yeah. Hold them accountable for what they said. No one changes overnight. You have to gradually grow if you change the position. You can't say that's like me one day saying, I support this. Then when I meet with a group of people saying, I need to vote. So, oh, I changed my mind. I, I don't think that way anymore. And we have to stop being an afterthought. I, if I'm your afterthought, no thanks. There are options uh, in this race and in all race, races, but it's up to us to hold people accountable. I'm very proud of my fraternity brother, Charles Booker, who made a stellar run. But when somebody's made a run of that magnitude, I would make that man my, I wouldn't go anywhere without him, especially as I'm courting the African-American vote. Because it's not up to me to be inspired by you. It's up to you as the candidate to inspire me. And if you haven't done that, that's that. Yes. But again, I'm, I will not be an afterthought. We've done that too long with all parties. Yes. You know, I, I won't take your handouts. Uh, I want to be a, considered as an equal vote. Maybe we as African-Americans aren't writing bigger checks, but a check is coming from one voter. Yes. He has the same power I do. So he might have wrote a $2,000 check and I might have wrote a $2 check. But when we draw that curtain, our voting power is the same. So all I say is all African-Americans, regardless of who that candidate is, hold them accountable. Hold, look back over the history, look at the things they say. And then did they come running to you asking for your vote after the fact, after the thought, oh, I need you now and I'm sensitive to you now. And I'm going to go, what? <laughs> and there's other levers you can pull, the write-ins, there's a lot of things you can do. And everybody's uh, human, everybody makes mistakes. But are you going to do the same thing when you get to office? Are you going to get to office like, oh, I cast a vote. Guess what? You can't take that vote back the way you did your comments. Yes. We, we just have to be wise with our votes. And I do believe in term limits. And uh, uh, I, I complain a lot about Kentucky being the commissioner of business development. Well, for the bulk of my life, we've been the number five state in poverty. Number three in per capita income, lowest per capita income. So a lot of people been in office a very long time that had moved our state forward. If it wasn't for some other very poor southern states, we'd be in very bad shape. Just like racism, Kentucky's been Mississippi North for all my life. We yeah. like to pretend that we're better. and Oh, it's Mississippi and that racism's in Alabama and it's in Georgia. <laughs> it's the same here. But when you've been in office that long, to me, you have failed if you not have not moved us. And my whole goal is commissioner of business development. I want to be aggressive. I want to be assertive. My job is to bring jobs. And when I leave this position, I would like to move the pendulum some to say we're not the fifth course in the nation anymore. Our per capita income is not number three in the nation anymore. Yes, and if I'd been around 30 or 40 years, 
I would I would feel very bad if I hadn't moved my state forward. And we need to hold Ms. McConnell and other long-term elected officials accountable for that. Absolutely. Before we get off the podcast, I want you to just elaborate on anything that comes to your heart right now. Uh, we are Imperfect Souls on an Imperfect Walk, but I want you to give my listeners, I, you have gave them a lot uh, on this podcast, but I want you to give my listeners something that they can take uh, to someone else, inspire someone. Just give us something that you want us, my listeners to take back uh, to their other listeners and talk about, about Jeff Taylor. You know, when I was in elementary school, and I, the Cold War with the Russians was still going on, and something resonates with me that I heard in around the fifth grade. It was the Russians had said, we will overtake the United States without ever firing a shot. Us, but a Russian leader stated that to an American leader. Well, I think that is coming true and unfolding right before our very eyes. Um, you have two choices right now. You can buy into the negativity or you can get involved in the positivity. I'm not doing anything negative right now. I've lost a lot of friends, a lot of white friends that I went to high school with that told me I was just like a brother to them, that told me how much they loved me. But as I see their Facebook posts, I know they never loved me. I know they never wanted me at their school now. I know they just were lying because their true colors are shining. But I don't attack them. I don't argue with them. I just unfriend them. If I post something, I want to post something positive. I think my latest post on Facebook that is social because most of my stuff is business, but my latest social post was a post of me, uh, who the former white mayor, the current white police chief, some white ministers, black ministers, us all holding hands and praying some years ago about the shooting. So I'm all for the nonviolent protest. I heavily support law enforcement, and I've had members that uh, my family that were in law enforcement, but I don't support bad cops. And if you're a good cop watching bad cops and not saying anything, then you're a bad cop too. It's yeah. just like my mother used to tell me, you, if you hang with those little boys and they get in trouble, you're going to jail too, even if you didn't do it. The same way with, with policing. If you're not saying anything, you're a bad cop too. But a long story short, brother, where is we all will be judged on this one day. You can do something positive or you can do something negative. Gravitate to your, all your friends, white and black, that are down for the Christian values and the brotherhood and support that we all need. Stay away from negativity regardless of where it's coming from. And please do everything in your power to, to stop the violence. Nobody is, is perfect here, but we'll continue to have these bloodbaths. And while we're doing this also, I would be remiss in saying that we as African-Americans have to do something about the Black-on-Black -black crime. We have to deal with it because Generally, you're not been shot by those that are sworn to uh, preserve and protect, but we're still shooting each other, yeah. and it's not right. Um, we have to do something for our young men. We have to find them jobs. We have to be role models. We have to mentor. We have to pray for them and guide them. But it, it has to stop, too. So as African Americans, we're fighting two wars at once. Check on each other. This, I'm okay, but I have outlets. But this words on you, it's like, not again, not again, not again. Well, guess what? I have to put this suit and tie on 
every morning and going to work with a smile on my face and focus. It doesn't matter that I just heard that a, a young girl with the exact name of my daughter has just been killed. I still yeah. got to show up that George Floyd has just been choked to death. There are garners. I still have to go to work with a, a good face. I have to live in two worlds, and that boils down to white privilege. They don't have to go to work with the postpartum, or not postpartum, but the post-traumatic stress disorder that we all are up against. And some of us had it. I mean, this just, it really weighs on you. Then in the middle of this, another black man's been killed under questionable circumstances. Oh, by the way, your mother, your son, your daughter just tested positive for COVID. Somewhere, man, this will just weigh on you to the point you are mentally exhausted. There's nothing wrong with seeking help. There's nothing wrong with, with crying. There's nothing wrong with calling brother where brother Tay say, man, can, can we just talk? Yes. Talk it out, man. Talk it out. And I, I will say I've got some white friends that are calling me. You know, we don't see eye to eye at all. We go at it. But I appreciate them calling. And, you know, we agree on what we can agree on and what we disagree on. It's fine. At the end of the day, they tell me, I love you, brother. I got your back. And I wish I had been with you when they called you a nigga. Yeah. We don't say out of eye, but they truly have your back. So this is a time, brother, I'm going to wrap it up right here. We have to have each other's back and be that positive shadow that you want others to cast for you. Again, I'd like to thank Brother Taylor for coming on, the grandson of a pastor podcast, dropping knowledge, giving wisdom, giving experiences that he has gone through here on his Christian walk. Again, I'd like to thank you, brother, for coming on the Grandson Master Podcast. Again, we are imperfect souls on an imperfect walk, influenced by none other than our parents, grandparents, politics, politicians, and most importantly, our religious beliefs. Again, thank you, Brother Taylor, for joining the Grandson of a Pastor Podcast. Thank you, Brother Ware. See ya. Yes, sir.